That's extremely serious. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Big banks. The impossible takes two days and miracles take three. Where you've got so many different departments and divisions. Shaping investors' expectations. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome back to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. HSBC's profits plunged 17% as CEO Stuart Gulliver is pulled into the Swiss tax scandal. Greece misses its Monday deadline to provide a list of economic reforms to institutions. And U.S. home sales hit a nine-month low as Janet Yellen testifies later today to Congress on the state of the U.S. economy. HSBC and Hang Seng Bank have both released their company earnings. Pegasus Managing Director Paul Pong weighs in on HSBC's lower-than-expected full-year profit. Our markets commentator today is Gavin Parry of Parry International Trading. And if you're having post-holiday blues, don't worry, you are not alone. Regus Hong Kong's country manager, Michael Orneson, talks to us about workplace stress. And Enzio Von File, our regular guest host, is back from his vacation. Good morning, Enzio. So once again, we're faced with the prospect of a global bank having to pay hundreds of millions of dollars in fines on top of the $200 billion of fines and compensation that has already been paid globally since the financial crisis. Enzio, what do you think it'll take to get these large financial institutions to clean up their act? I really don't know what, because it's really moral turpitude that we're dealing with here. In other words, people trying to make a fast buck where they can. But having said that, my ever-sensible wife also pointed out that the flip side of this is that it's the clients of these banks who actually do this tax evasion. It's not the banks. The banks are only facilitating, so they're aiding and abetting, but quite why the clients aren't being had up themselves, the ones who are telling the bank to evade, that beats me. But uh, you hit the nail on the head. The banks themselves are facilitating this. I mean, isn't that the key that they're facilitating it? I think so. And it just seems to me in my longer career in, in broking and finance that the quest for quick for the quick buck has become ever faster the more that we've had this Internet age descend upon us where instant gratification really is king of the jungle. All right. Well, let's uh, let, take a look at today's top stories. Uh, Greece missed its deadline to submit a list of economic reforms to the three institutions or the group formerly known as the Troika. A Greek government official said that it would uh, be sent to finance ministers on Tuesday. The head of the Eurogroup says that he's confident that the government in Athens will demonstrate commitment to reforming the, com- uh, the country's finances. But gloom, boom and doomster Mark Faber says that the Greek economy isn't strong enough to support the debt load. I think the Greek problem has been postponed. It hasn't been solved. And uh, the problem is really that they have debts that the country with its economy simply cannot service or pay. The debts uh, amount to something like 250 to $300 billion. And the economy is not strong enough to support that. Number two, in the discussion about Greece, uh, 
what is frequently overlooked is that uh, for NATO, for the EU and uh, the US, uh, an exit of Greece might open up an opening of closer relationships between Greece and Russia or Greece and China. And that the Western allies want to prevent at all costs. U.S. home sales in January hit a nine-month low, dropping almost 5% from December. Headwinds from the housing market may impact the Federal Reserve's decision on when to raise U.S. interest rates. Janet Yellen is due to testify later today before the U.S. Congress, and Wells Fargo Securities equity strategist Gina Martin thinks that Yellen will likely strike a dovish tone. I think the more important news this week, quite frankly, is going to be Yellen's testimony yeah. in Congress. Yes. I mean, this, this is For something that actually testimony. happens at home. If she starts to guide a little bit more hawkishly, the market is not going to be happy. I don't think that's going to happen either. I mean, my, my general view is that the default direction for equities is still higher. Um, and it doesn't seem well, you're like at, it's Okay, have a so lot you're at 222 by the end of the year for the S&P, yeah, right? Yeah, 2222. Renaissance Macro Research's head of U.S. economics, Neil Datta, says that the U.S. economy has reached a cruising altitude. I think the U.S. economy uh, is growing around 3%. I think that's more than enough to keep pushing the unemployment rate down. I think the Fed, by their own admission in the minutes, has really put themselves in a corner. Uh, they either, at this point, are risking a small hawkish surprise now or a much larger one later. Uh, that's why they're having so much consternation about what's going to happen after they remove the patient language. They may, I mean, I, I think the big risk for the, uh, for the Fed at this point is how do we keep the markets from pricing in the full tightening cycle after the first volley? How do they avoid a taper tantrum? Because once the Fed removes the patient language, what's going to happen is more people are going to expect rate hikes, and they're probably going to expect a more aggressive pace of rate hikes. And that's uh, going to be problematic for fixed income investors. U.S. stocks finished little changed following the lackluster housing data. The Dow closed 23 points down at 18,117. The S&P 500 was more or less unchanged at 2,110, while the Nasdaq gained a tenth of a percent to finish at 4,960. Let's welcome our markets guest for this morning, uh, Gavin Parry, who is the managing director of Parry International Trading. Good morning, Gavin. Morning. So, Gavin, what are you expecting from the proposals to be submitted by the Greek government to the Eurogroup? Well, as, uh, as Mark Faber said earlier, it's, it, it, it's, it's nearly a, a factual aspect that they, they have a, a, an ongoing debt situation. That This is not a solution. This is more of a, a Band-Aid situation to, to keep the, um, the, the country functioning. Uh, I think it, it, what, what's probably more important is basically the German macro data that will be coming out, which is the trade data and also their GDP, because obviously it's the German um, pocketbook, let's say, that is still the engine for, for the EU. So do you think that they can reconcile their promise to the electorate of higher wages and pensions with the German demands for Greece to stick to the terms of its bailout? Well, this, this kind of brings back up the whole conundrum of how much pain and where's the break-even level for Germany if we're talking about a, a Greek exit or, or hypothetically even the extremity um, situation of having, let's say, the Germans turn around and say, well, look, at what particular point in time do we continue to play by the rules 
while um, other people are effectively changing the goalposts or interpreting that rule book. Um, and that's probably one of the major underlying aspects of uncertainty in relation to the euro or the, or the monetary union. Um, but it, it, it seems like a very, very far extremity to find um, something like, like Germany, for example, deciding that you know, this is just you know, past the break-even point of pain for us. Now, the Greek government uh, definitely appears to have caved in on all of its demands. Uh, would you say that Greece has betrayed its election mandate? Well, that, that again is a double-edged sword because obviously they've elected a, a, a more left socialist government and on a platform of effectively um, turning back um, some of the austerity measures. Um, the fact that the word troika is not being used, it seems more political than anything. Um, and some of the, the local reports that we're, we're reading on the street in Greece is it's, it's very mixed bag that the people do understand that the government's tried as much as possible, but they are under political and economic restrictions. Whereas obviously you have your more extreme uh, left side of it that, that are obviously demanding and expecting more given the election mandate they've had. Enzio, your thoughts on the matter? Well, I think it's important to add to the comments just made also by Mark Faber that the finance minister is a professor of game theory, and he is playing all sorts of games. I suspect at the end that the this government, if it plays its cards right, could become the Helmut Schmidt, so to speak, of Greece, which goes to say that Helmut Schmidt was a socialist prime minister, chancellor, but in fact he was very good at pushing through conservative reforms. And I suspect this may be what happens with the um, Tsipras government itself. Mark's point that Greece is going to side with China and Russia, I would respectfully dismiss as nonsense because the Chinese and the Russians already have said that they're not going to lend them any money, um, at least on favorable terms at all. And I think that Greece is really going to be, I don't think it's going to be the tail that wags the dog. Mm. So, Gavin, um, you know, coming to the U.S., I mean, Janet Yellen testifies uh, later tonight, or later today, I should say, um, to the Congress. What are you expecting to hear from her? Well, one thing we'll definitely be looking out for is any comments on currencies, because obviously it's, uh, central banks go to, to extreme lengths to, um, to point out that obviously their monetary policy is domestic, and any actual impact on currencies as an externality, let's say, of, the, of their domestic focused monetary policy. So given the fact that the, um, the minutes show that, that she was commenting physically on the US dollar was a bit of a sit-up-in-your-chair moment because it kind of proved to us that not just like most other global central banks, but obviously the US is very concerned of importing deflation. Um, and given the, the deflation of, of prices in the US, the lackluster wage growth and so forth, we, we, need to, we need to remember that obviously it's a dual mandate for the US. It's not just full employment, it's also price stability. So... Um, one of the major aspects is obviously the Federal Reserve has, has got a very bloated um, yielding um, balance sheet of debt at the moment. And, and one of the main aspects of having an inflationary environment is allowing the high probability of rolling over maturing debt with depreciated, cheaper, mm. uh, older debt. So it, it's quite important to keep the, the system going. So that's obviously just a mark of positive that if they're actually commenting on the US dollar, it's more impetus, let's say, of, of a dovish um, outlook that you know the, the consensus of June at the moment could be pushed back further to September as a street mm. consensus. And that's obviously just positive for cash equities. So positive cash equities, I mean, specifically for Asia? How, do, how does that impact us here? Well, obviously, the region's geared as an export-orientated uh, region. Um, obviously, China's doing its own morphing of, of the economy at the moment, focusing more on domestic demand-driven. Um, 
so you know we saw we've seen situations like Japan at the moment, which is is, is obviously very much being run um, as a market in, in relation to the expectations of, of demand for their exports, um, and, and 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 it's very much a case for the whole region. I mean, obviously, for at the moment we're we're, we're treading water, waiting for, for Shanghai to come back online, and then we have the National People's Conference next week, which will give us a lead in relation to the key uh, economic targets going forward as well. All right, Gavin, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Gavin Parry and he is Managing Director at Parry International Trading. Well, the Nikkei is down 25 points to 18,441. Australia's ASX uh, is down 10 points to 5,861. And Seoul's Kospi is up 7 points to 1,975. In currencies, 1 euro currently buys you 1.13 US dollars. The US dollar is trading at 118 yen. And 1 pound sterling is worth 11 Hong Kong dollars and 98 cents. Travellers heading for the mainland during the holidays are reminded to avoid crossing the boundary at peak hours and should plan their journeys in advance. Please also consider using rail services. Those using other public transport, such as shuttle buses or other cross-boundary coach services terminating at Huangang Port in Shenzhen or local public transport services calling at Lok Ma Chao Spur Line or Shenzhen Bay are also reminded to avoid travelling at peak hours. The time is now 8.16 a.m. and Regus, a global workplace provider, recently surveyed 22,000 workers in over 100 countries. Over half of the global workforce, that is 53%, say that they are closer to burning out than they were just five years ago. What has happened? Let's bring in our guest from Regus Hong Kong, country manager Michael Orniston, uh, to understand the reasons behind all of this. Good morning, Michael. Yeah, good morning. So, Michael, one of your report findings shows that Hong Kong workers name top three productivity killers. Can you tell us what they are? Yeah, sure. Okay, so the first one was um, IT glitches, which 46% of respondents said was one of the top priority killers. Um, in, a, in a survey we actually did on um, the ideal workplace, 85% of those respondents said that a reliable and fast IT rates is the number one factor um, to, to, to ensure a, a productive workplace. So that being one of the most important factors um, to ensure people are, are working productively. Um, lengthy meetings was the second one. Um, and then traffic jams uh, with 43%. Um, and I, and I, the ideal workplace study also that we did said that 20% of respondents said that they'd like to work actually closer to home. Lengthy meeting traffic jams. I mean, what do you say, Enzio? Doesn't this sound like the story of all of our lives? Yeah, yeah it <laughs> certainly does. Um, and, and, you know, by adopting a flexible workplace, um, which today um, actually over over 70% of people are adapting some type of flexible working, that can certainly um, uh, relieve some of the unproductivity that people have. Um, and also it, it, it lowers people's stress. So the report shows that 70% of professional, uh, professionals say that flexible workers have increased um, compared with just five years ago. Uh, you know, why is mobility working a problem? Um, I mean, and why is it so difficult still to get to in, in so many different places of work? 
Yeah, okay. Well, actually, um, mobile working or flexible working is not a problem. It actually helps relieve stress and improve work-life balance. I think the key to flexible working is finding an ideal workplace to, to, to actually, you know, conduct that flexible working. So, yeah. Now, Michael, um, Michael, what I meant was um, why is it such a problem to get to this state of mobile working? I mean, it, it seems that there are many companies that are still reluctant to yes. let this actually happen, even though, you know, we all know or we all say that, you know, it has these benefits. Many people, you know, want their employees to do FaceTime. Yeah, that, that, that is true. And I think that that's, um, that's leading to, to the um, uh, dissatisfaction and un, unproductivity un, un that, that uh, employees have. So um, I think we need to catch up with the, the concept of, of flexible working. Um, you know, in Hong Kong, we only have an employment rate of unemployment rate of 3.3%. So competition for talent is very fierce. And in a survey that we recently did, also 75% of people said that they would actually choose a similar job over another one if it had flexible working. So you can see from an employee-driven uh, factor, um, companies do need to let's say, wake up and start adapting flexible working in order to be able to maintain their top talent and also have higher employee satisfaction. All right. Very interesting stuff. Thank you uh, so much for joining us uh, this morning. That is Michael Orniston, and he is Regus Hong Kong's country manager. The time is now 8.20 a.m. and HSBC shares dropped 5% after a worse-than-expected 17% fall in pre-tax profits. The bank set aside $3.7 billion in fines, settlements and compensation for UK customers. CEO Stuart Gulliver describes the results as disappointing, but Asia and particularly Hong Kong made a strong contribution to profits. 2014 was a challenging year in which we continued to work hard to improve business performance while managing the impact of a higher operating cost base. Profits disappointed. Although a tough fourth quarter masked some of the progress made over the preceding three quarters. In spite of this, there were a number of encouraging signs, particularly in commercial banking, payments and cash management, and renminbi products and services. Asia continued to provide a strong contribution to group profits. Middle East and North Africa delivered a record reported profit before tax. Together, Asia and the Middle East generated more than 70% of adjusted group profit before tax. Commercial banking also delivered a record reported profit, which is evidence of the successful execution of our strategy. This was driven by strong revenue growth, notably in our two home markets of Hong Kong and the UK. We also grew loans and advances to customers in commercial banking by 10%. The bank has been under pressure since revelations of how its Swiss private bank has in the, in the past helped wealthy clients evade tax. But uh, Gulliver says that the bank doesn't want clients who evade taxes. Global private banking continues to undergo a comprehensive overhaul, which was accelerated from 2011. As part of this overhaul, we are implementing tough financial crime, regulatory compliance and tax transparency measures. In order to achieve our desired business model and informed by our six filters process, we have also sold a number of businesses and customer portfolios, including assets in Japan, Panama and Luxembourg. The number of customer accounts in our Swiss private bank is now nearly 70% lower than at its peak. 
In case there is any doubt, we've absolutely no appetite to do business with clients who are evading their taxes or who fail to meet our financial crime compliance standards. Now, it turns out that uh, Bank Chief Gulliver also kept a secret Swiss account for the payment of his bonuses funneled through a secretive uh, Panamanian company. He told reporters the account was opened in 1998 when he was living and working in Hong Kong to prevent his colleagues from finding out the size of his bonuses. Being in Switzerland protects me from the Hong Kong staff. Having a Panamanian company protects me from the Swiss staff. And why is it Panamanian? That's the structure that the private bank was putting people into back in those days. And really it's about the fact, for enable me to be, to have confidentiality within my own firm. There was no tax advantage to the Panamanian piece. So let's bring in our last guest of the morning, uh, this morning, Pegasus Managing Director, Paul Pong, to tell us about how all of these uh, company earnings yesterday and how how, uh, HSBC's share is going to perform in the wake of the accusation. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. So, Paul, HSBC is in the spotlight, uh, as we all know. Uh, Fines enough of a deterrent for a bank like uh, HSBC, or does further action need to be taken? Uh, I think, uh, first of all, I think the cost increased a lot. It affects the, the income and also the, uh, the, I think the income also decreasing. I think it leads to uh, two sides affecting the bottom line a lot. So, uh, I think in terms of the expenses, it increased significantly from, uh, you know, occupy about 67.3%, which is, uh, I think, very high. Um, and also it affected ROE, which is one of the lowest, it's actually 7.3% compared to the double digit in the past. So I think um, the, the management should have to do a lot of it to cut the, the spending as well as try to increase the income. Now, but, uh, some some analysts are definitely of the opinion that HSBC is too big to manage. Uh, should should the bank perhaps be thinking about selling some of its underperforming divisions or be forced to be broken up? I think this is one of the source of the income for the short term, and also. Uh, but I think in the past already HSBC tried to sell some of the uh, uh, some of the uh, subsidiary in order to generate income and also to streamline the, the companies who do more manageable. I think this is also one of the ways to do so as well. Enzio, your but thoughts? Paul, do you find that HSBC perhaps has a bit of a, not a sell-by date, but certainly is a bank that's just grown too big, that's become very unwieldy? How do you rate its coping with change strategy? We all know that companies go through life cycles and it would appear as if HSBC is going through one of these spasms at present. How do you rate its its growth strategy and its change strategy? I think, first of all, the growth strategy, I think uh, after the financial crisis, you can see all over the world, even except U.S. is coming out of them, um, the, uh, have the light in the light of that tunnel. The other, like Europe and even Japan and other emerging countries, except I think Asia is doing better. So I think as a whole, most of the region uh, is quite difficult to general, uh, I think, uh, growth for the HSBC. So it's very difficult to, uh, I think the HSBC have to focus, especially in Asia, uh, try to generate, but uh, the other area will drag uh, the earning of the HSBC. 
in terms of the change, I think uh, HSBC understand it and others, but I think they have to do it uh, quicker. Especially, I think the um, uh, U.S. and a lot of uh, regulator is actually putting a lot of pressure to the HSBC as well because uh, uh, there's a lot of problem, and I think, and also putting them expiratory penalty. This is a huge expenses, and we cannot, we haven't seen the end yet. So unless it's at end, I think the uh, the expenses on this side uh, will be increasing still. So, uh, Paul, you know, there's been uh, a lot of talk this morning on this, uh, you know, bank account that, you know, Stuart Gulliver has in Switzerland. It's not illegal to have a bank account in Switzerland. So why is there so much focus on this? Uh, I think this is uh, because HSBC have a very good name and they are a reputable name. Uh, and also a lot of people think that this is very prudent and, and all this. So even a senior staff, although it's right to do so, but it should be more transparent and also it should report earlier than before. So a lot of people, you know, doubt about the governance and all this about HSBC. So this is one of the, uh, I think, expectation from the investor. And also it will affect the, I think, the, the premium or, you know, the, uh, the impression of the HSBC and it will affect the share price. Enzio, your thoughts? Well, there's an old saying that you don't want to inflate the problem by avoiding the issue. And I think the issue really has to be that of more openness and transparency in dealing with the public as opposed to get-rich-quick schemes that seem to pervade today's psychology. I also would add that the outsourcing that we were just discussing with the Regis head here, Mr. Ormstein, or Ormiston, um, that clearly may be applied to HSBC, which may just have a few too many employees for what it needs. Perhaps there's going to be more outsourcing on the part of HSBC to reduce costs. Mm. Okay, Paul, quickly before we wrap up, Hang Seng Bank also released company earnings and missed estimates by dropping 43% to $15.1 billion Hong Kong what are you know all of these bank earnings telling us? I think uh, this tells us the, the banking sector is still in a very difficult environment. Especially the regulatory cost is increasing, but the income cannot grow as expected. So I think this is quite difficult. Unless I think the global economy uh, pick up the growth again, ex- except the US. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us this morning. That is Paul Pong, and he is a managing director at Pegasus. The Nikkei is down of five points to 18,461. Australia's ASX index is down four points to 5,867. And Seoul's Kospi is up seven points to 1,976. Gold is at $1,200 per ounce, and Brent crude oil, $58.90. So, Enzio, it is only Tuesday, and we've already had some big market news. Any uh, other shocks that we should be preparing ourselves for? I don't think so. I think just as a parting thought that banks increasingly are going to become utilities. They're going to be, because of this regulatory imperialism, particularly of the Americans, I think you'll find more that the banks, more and more that their earnings get squeezed by an, and stifled, really, by an increasing regulatory regime, which doesn't really, yet again, solve the problem because they're avoiding the issue, the issue being morality and honesty. 
All right, Enzio, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is Enzio Von File, investment strategist at Private Capital. And uh, thank you for joining us this morning. This is Renita Malhotrahura wrapping up for Money for Nothing. Now it's time for the half hour news. HSBC share price is expected to come under pressure here after it lost 4.5% in London trading, falling to its lowest level since October 2012. The plunge followed the bank's report of a 17% drop in profit to 18.7 billion US dollars. It blames fines and settlements and UK customer compensation costs for the sharp fall. The bank has been streamlining its business in an attempt to boost earnings, and Chief Executive Stuart Gulliver said it had now closed or sold 77 businesses and lost 50,000 jobs since he took the helm in 2011. President Barack Obama has said 100,000 employees of the Department of Homeland Security will not get paid next week unless Congress agrees new funding for the agency. Representatives and senators have threatened not to approve any new money for the department until Mr. Obama halts his recent executive order to shield millions of undocumented immigrants from deportation. Mr. Obama said cutting off the funding would have a direct impact on the U.S. economy and national security. These are folks who, if they don't have a paycheck, are not going to be able to spend that money in your states. It will have a direct impact on your economy, and it will have a direct impact on America's national security, because their hard work helps to keep